We have now finished Sukkot, and this Shabbos is Parshas Bereshit. So I thought what would be very good <clears throat> is to talk about Judaism in an incredibly fundamental way to really get down to the what's called the, the basic blocks of Judaism and to talk about exactly what is mankind all about and what is a Jew really all about. And that will provide you with a fundamental understanding of what is going on in terms of Adam Harishan, in terms of mankind, you know, all kinds of uh, situations and so on, you know. Uh, and I thought that would be very valuable because you would have an insider's view of what really everything is about and what the Mashiach does, what his power is, you see, when it, uh, when it ends. And you could start with uh, the fact <clears throat> that there are two ideas. One is there's God. Now, God is not part of reality. Reality is part of God. <clears throat> Sounds like it's play on words, but it's not. No, it's not that there's a reality and God is part of that. You know, he, you know he's, he's obviously real, so he's part of whatever is called reality. No. There is no reality. There's only God. So reality, whatever it is, is all part of him. There's nothing outside of him that we could designate as a reality different than he is. That, that's a very important concept, really, you know. <clears throat> no, it's the whole essence of reality, of what it is, is God. And whatever there is of reality is what he made, what he created. That, that's like a very important perspective of looking at God and reality. <clears throat> now, that's the first idea that reality is part of God. The second very important idea is that there's a certain operation, that's what I call it, it's a certain action that God does. And that presents the most basic, fundamental operation of all reality. What is that called? That is called Tzimtzum. Tzimtzum is when a person restricts himself in whatever manner. In other words, a person has a, a full expression of who he is, manifestation of who he is. But if that person in any way seeks to limit, restrict, curtail, that manifestation, right, that's called symptom. He's with some same himself. He restricts himself 
or he restricts his manifestation. Therefore, the action of symptom <clears throat> is the most basic thing you could talk about of an entity. <clears throat> now, in terms of God, God is not same himself. Uh, he restricts himself. Now, is that a real restriction? And the answer is no. He restricts himself, and what emerges is a different reality. So in that sense, you could look at this. There's a reality called God. It were, if it was fully disclosed, fully manifest, right, then that reality would be completely God. What God did is he created a process, an operation, whereby he can restrict himself, limit his self. What does that mean? Not that he disappears or he shrinks. No. What he does is that in some way, which is unknown, he can restrict his presence. And what emerges from that is a certain reality. It is a reality devoid of the presence of God in whatever uh, degree that he wishes to do. You see? <clears throat> so therefore, we can distinguish three fundamental ideas. God is the first concept, and that, like I say, is the totality of everything. Then the second concept is that God created the ability, and it didn't exist before, where he can restrict his presence. Now, and that therefore creates a reality. So there's a full reality, which is God. There's some type of an operational action that God does, which can restrict his manifestation, thereby changing or creating a reality. And that's a, those three ideas is the fundamental uh, composition of the entire creation. Now, well, not that God restricts or reduces himself, but in some way, and we don't really obviously don't, we have no idea how this works, he limits uh, some aspect uh, of himself, and it is not perceived by that reality that he creates. You see? So th that's what he does. He limits the ability of any entity that Soraya. exists. What was that? He limits the ability of anything in that reality to perceive him. <clears throat> so those are the three ideas. So there's God and a full manifestation of God. There's God when he begins to display the symptom operation. And then there's a the consequent reality that is created. Those are the three fundamental ideas of everything. You see. <clears throat> now, what are the realities that God created using the symptom? Symptom action. Well, the first thing is God applied the symptom action to himself without another reality besides himself. And that is a series of actions that he took 
which Kabbalah actually describes, uh, which at one point in time I will also go into when I talk about who is God. Uh, but the first act of Tzimtzum is that God does apply this to himself. And therefore, he himself... What was that? And therefore, he himself uh, is limited without a reality happening other than that. Uh, the second symptom uh, is the concept of that he creates what's called the neshama. Now, the neshama, obviously, is, uh, let's say, it's, it's a being, obviously, that now can perceive itself as some type of a real reality. In other words, the essential aspect of God, let's call it Enoid Mavadoi, that besides God, there is nothing else, literally. There's nothing else. And that itself becomes restricted or diminished. And finally, what God does is create a reality which that can be, there can be an other besides God. So what he does is he restricts his power or attribute of Enel Mavadoi. Besides God, there is nothing else. So therefore, the exclusivity of his being is now restricted and allows for the existence of something else. And what that will be basically uh, is, let's assume now, it's the Nishama. Okay, actually what he does, when he does restrict himself, uh, the reality that comes into play is called the spheroids, which are forces that he creates, which he can use to do other things. You see, God in himself, which is interesting, doesn't want to do anything with he himself. What he does is he creates intermediaries. And the spheroids are forces which he creates and which he guides and controls and so on. And they do things. They create realities. And they're a ten in number. <clears throat> so even though he's behind the spheres, you see, but as far as anything that we know, <clears throat> it is the spheres that create everything being directed and empowered by God. And the spheres create what's called the neshama, which is a being that has consciousness, and that's the first thing that is created, basically, uh, uh, in terms of the creation. So we have God, we have his creation of the spheres, which he now uses as an instrument to begin to create realities. And the first reality, other than the spheres, is called the nishamas, the souls. Okay? Then what God does is how is he going to react to that nishama? Well, again, he doesn't want to do it by himself in the sense that he will interact with a nishama. No. What God creates is a world called spirituality. Ruchni which are composed of many different types of beings, primarily Malachim. And he will interact with realities through the Malachim. That's how he will do it. 
It's a, it, it, the Malachim are really the interface between God and the Neshama, or between God and any other reality. Then he creates a reality of what I once mentioned, Gesem, which is a material reality, okay, which is different than the spiritual realities. Then he creates another reality in potential, which unfortunately became actualized, <clears throat> is the reality of the Sultan, what's called the Zohamo. It is a force that is opposite in certain ways to the force of the spheres, you see. But anyway, so these are the realities that God creates through the spheres. But the fundamental way, as I said, that he does it is using the operation or action called Tzimtzum. <clears throat> so obviously, Tzimtzum is an incredibly powerful device. You see. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> imagine if God comes over to you and says, I'm going to give you the power of Tzimtzum, which means that I'm going to give you the power to limit or to increase my presence. In other words, I will voluntarily submit to your actions to either increase my presence or to reduce my presence. And imagine if he gave it to you. You would be the most powerful being in all creation because the most powerful um, thing of all is the presence of God. When God is present, everything is beyond belief good. When God is diminished, then you begin to see the concept called chesorn, or deficiency. <clears throat> so obviously, whoever has the power of Tzimtzum, which means to be able to increase or reduce the, the degree of the presence of God, in many ways, is the most powerful being in all creation. You see, because <clears throat> like I say, the presence of God or the absence of God, in Hebrew it's called the Ha'ora, which means his light or his hester or his concealment, is the most powerful thing in all creation, obviously, and because it determines the degree of any reality. <clears throat> so therefore this ability to control the symptom which obviously God submits voluntarily, would make that individual uh, the most powerful being in all creation. And guess what? He does that. He creates a being, okay? And he gives this being the ability of Tsimsum. It's like he takes this individual and he puts him next to a dial, and that dial is, let's say, from 0 to 100. And he says to that person, you will control the dial. And that dial is the degree of symptom. It will determine to what extent I manifest and to what extent I conceal my presence. Guess what? You're the boss. That's what he tells the person. <clears throat> Clearly then, that person, right, is the most powerful being in all the universe. Everything else is irrelevant, you see. It's like having the lever 
for the entire creation in your hands. Well, did God do that? <clears throat> did he give the power of Simpson to a, a being? And the answer is yes. He gave it to Adam Harishan, the first man. And that idea <clears throat> that a human being now has the power to control or to determine the absence or presence, the degree of ha'ora, of presence of God, <clears throat> is what makes Odom special, obviously. That power of Tzimtzum makes Odom a Yisrael. That's really what a Yisrael is. A Yisrael is any neshama that has the ability to control <clears throat> the Simpson process, you see. So therefore, that person, Odom Mauritian, can do anything. It's, it's incredible. He can turn the dial by what, right? By increasing the amount of presence of God, and that would change reality. Or if he wants, he can diminish that. <clears throat> you see, and that also will increase or diminish uh, to diminish that uh, power, and obviously reality changes. So that's what he gave to Adam. <clears throat> you see, that is the power of Adam Harishan. And Adam had that, obviously, and therefore he was able to destroy creation or enlighten creation. He wound up obviously destroying it because what determines the amount of presence or absence of God in creation is, like I say, that power of Simpson. But what moves the dial, <clears throat> right? It's not like you have your hand on a dial. What moves the dial is to do God's command. So if you do God's command, which is called a mitzvah, then you increase you, you limit the symptom. You actually undo the original symptom where God restricts his manifestation. You actually undo it. And you increase the presence if you do the mitzvah. You see. If, however, you don't do the mitzvah, you do its opposite, which is called an avera, <clears throat> then you increase the symptom, thereby limiting the presence of God to a much greater degree, you see. So therefore, a mitzvah, you now understand, is the device, a mitzvah or its opposite, called an avera, to listen to the will of God or to violate the word of God, <clears throat> is the instrument that will control the Simpson process, either increasing or limiting, reducing the presence of God. What I'm telling you now is the fundamental concept of what God did. And everything follows. So you have an Adam, a man, <clears throat> right, <clears throat> that has been given an unbelievable privilege that he can determine Simpson. He can either un reverse the process of Simpson, thereby uh, bringing God much more into the Bria, or he can uh, uh, increase the uh, the amount of reduction 
of the presence of God. <clears throat> it's up to Adam's action. That's how we, that's how the entire world, the creation, begins with the story of Adam, you see. But what I'm telling you is the power behind Adam. <clears throat> Why was Adam able to destroy <clears throat> or severely damage creation when he did not listen to the command of God? <clears throat> you see, what Adam did is he ate from a tree that God said, don't eat. That was the command of God. Adam violated that command and he did eat. He and his wife, Chava. And therefore they damaged incredibly creation. But how? Wherein lies their power? The answer is because they have the control symptom <clears throat> which God gave them and he submits to what they want to do and we know the reason why because God wants them ultimately to undo symptom which means to increase his presence and therefore change the entire world <clears throat> which I once mentioned to change the world from a world of <clears throat> Geshem materiality or physicality to a world of spirituality, Ruchni, and then to change the world of Ruchni spirituality to Ilam Habo, which is a world really that's not even spiritual, although it is from the perspective that it's not physical, so therefore we could call it spiritual. <clears throat> but the world of Ilam Habo in many ways is not even spiritual. It is something beyond comprehension. In many ways, it's a different reality, you see. <clears throat> like I said, Odin was given the power to introduce that world called Ulam Habo, but he failed. And the reason, like I say, why he was able to do that is because he had the power of Tzimtzum. <clears throat> now, that power continued through mankind, which means Odin, and then you had Cain and Hevel, right? As they say, Cain and Abel, right? It continued for many, many generations, you see. In fact, it continued for 2,000 years until you had the generation of dispersion. <clears throat> that is also, we see, why in the time of Noah, why there was a flood. <clears throat> because they, all of them, had the power of Timson, and if they would do acts that would violate God's command, then they could dial it down, limit his presence, and bring enormous amount of darkness to the world, you see, and therefore the world would have to be destroyed. So we now understand the power of mankind <clears throat> when he is called Yisrael. Now what happened eventually, obviously, you know, skipping ahead, that God said enough is enough and I'm going to take away the power of Tzimtzum from mankind and I'm going to leave it in the hands of Avram Avinu. So therefore it comes out that the only one now who's the power of Tzimtzum is the Jew. And that's why a Jew who's called an Ivri, right, has the power of Tzimtzum and he's therefore called the Israel. 
And that is the concept of Yisrael, that uh, a, a Jew <clears throat> has the power of Simpson, so he's the only one now that can bring in or, or push out the presence of God, thereby changing reality, you see. <clears throat> and we know, which I have said before, that he, what the Jew is commanded to do through the mitzvahs, you see, is to operate Simpson, whereby he undoes the Simpson, the restriction of God, right? And he brings in what's called Ha'ora, the light of God. And therefore he's able to change reality. And the, 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 the darkest aspect of reality, which I mentioned, is the Zoyama, <clears throat> which is the world or the, the uh, power that the Satan has over the physical world. He's able to destroy the Satan because everything in order to exist must be the recipient of Ha'ora, <clears throat> which is the illumination of God. And if you can control Simpson, then you could limit that illumination to the Satan, and therefore he dies. That is the power of a Jew over the Satan, where he can limit that being's ability to survive by limiting the presence of God as it is channeled toward the existence of the Satan. So if he operates Simpson, and he limits that, that energy, whatever you want to call it, the presence of God, then the Satan dies. You see? I mean, we begin to realize this, this incredible ability <laughs> of controlling Simpson is the great, it's like the greatest, it's the greatest magic wand of all, you see. <clears throat> so what his job really, in terms of the realities that he can control, you see, is to destroy the world of Zoyamah by limiting the presence of God that directly <clears throat> maintains that world. <clears throat> and therefore the world would then become no more Zoyamah, there's no more Satan, Satan, right? Which means there's no more decomposition, deterioration of physical matter. And that ends. And that, of course, is the world of Mashiach. Basically, Mashiach, <coughs> uh, especially Mashiach when David, when the world will be the, the reality or the component of the world that can decompose or deteriorate the reality of the world, ends. And then, <clears throat> because of what the Jews did, that's the way they controlled the Simpson and increased the presence of God, the second thing that happens after that, of course, is that Geshem, physicality, is removed. And the world now becomes spiritual. It goes up a notch. Why? Because the Jews have removed physicality by undoing the Tzimtzum. Undoing the restriction that God has imposed upon himself. And God now voluntarily increases his being right? Because of the actions of the Jews. In other words, the Jews kick off the process. And of course, the reality now changes higher and higher. As I mentioned a while back, it now changes higher and higher. <clears throat> it becomes closer and closer to the highest spiritual reality, you see. 
and then ultimately it stops and it becomes a reality of which nobody has ever seen. Like I said, it is a reality. Uh, well, in Kabbalah it's called Odom Kadmoim, which is primordial man, but it is a reality called Olam Habo. <clears throat> and that is a, ra- a reality where there is no Zoyamo. There's no satanic beings or energies. There's no Geshem. There's no physicality. And there's no Ruchli. There's no spirituality. Even though to us it's spiritual because it's not physical. But in the world of spirituality, it's not even equal to the world of the angels. It's beyond, it's infinitely beyond whatever the world of the angels is. And it becomes the world of pure Nishamas. So that world between the, becomes the resident, so to speak, of God and the Nishama. And we have no idea what that is. Like I said, we have never seen that type of reality whatsoever. You see, so we now understand basic on the operations of what the Jew can do. The Jew is a people's descendants of Avraham Avinu. The power of Simpson has been taken away from the basically the 70 nations before Avraham Avinu. And it has been given to the Jews. The Jews, by operating the instruments of Tzimtzum, and we now know that we know that there are three mitzvahs, is one. But what happens if you sin? So you can undo the sinning by tshuva, repentance, or yisurin, or suffering. You see. <clears throat> but in any one of those three, ultimately, it will lead toward undoing the restriction that God has imposed on himself. You see, and like I said, and I've given you the history, uh, and, uh, and all of this ultimately creates a reality <clears throat> of Ilam Habo. You know, in a, a certain way, if you want to look at it more concrete, chemistry is where an individual is a study of manipulating matter at the molecular level. <clears throat> you see, physics is a study or, uh, uh, you know, a uh, discipline where you can manipulate matter at the atomic level. What is interesting is that the Jew, right, can manipulate not matter, but he can manipulate ha'ora, neither molecules nor um, energy or whatever, atoms and so on, but he manipulates the level of ha'ora, which means light or ore, of the presence of God. <clears throat> That's what he does. That is the most powerful instrument in all creation. Because the presence or absence of God, the ha'ora or the hester of God, is the ultimate force, determinant of reality. And the Jew can manipulate that. Tragically, Jews have no idea of their power. You see. But that's really what a Jew is. And an individual that has that power to manipulate Simpson is called the Yisrael. The power of Yisrael has been given over to the people who descend from Avraham Avinu. 
Now, anybody can have that power if they become Jewish. So, therefore, it's not limited to a Jew, but it is limited to anybody <coughs> that wants to be, uh, be involved in the process of heeding the Word of God. And God has, therefore, in His tremendous mercy, <coughs> has allowed anybody, you see, to come into that awesome power. And that's why, in the end, the Jew is the one who will have changed creation. We know that that means that's tikkun. What we now understand what tikkun is, uh, the, the device or the action of tikkun is done through tzimtzum, where you can actually influence the level of, uh, of presence or absence of God. That's how the tikkun is done, you see. And like I say, the Jews therefore are called, um, are therefore called the Masakain. They rectify creation by increasing the output or the presence of God in creation, changing the entire reality outside of God. That's how powerful that is. No angel can do this. And Malachim stand in awe <coughs> of a Jew because even though they, right now anyway, are beings that are far superior to the being called a human. However, the fact that a human has been given the power infinitely greater than any malach, they stand in awe of the Jew. Uh, you see, you see, you know, which is, uh, when you think about it, you can begin to see that, sure, they, they are much greater in being quality, uh, <coughs> a qualitative being but in terms of the power of that being, the Jew infinitely surpasses any malach. So, obviously, we begin to understand, you know, the power of the Jew and why all human history, all of it, is somehow connected to the actions of the Jew. Even though we don't understand, it's like it said in Chazal, that even if a ship sinks somewhere in the ocean, the reason why it sinks is because of the Jew. Why? Because in order for it to sink, there has to be some type of denial of the ha'ora, of the presence of God, that allows the sultan to sink that ship. But who controls that ability? And the answer is the Jew. Uh, so in the end, the one who is the most powerful being in all of creation are the Jews. And what is so interesting is that the world is so busy trying to stop the Jews from operating Tzimtzum or reversing the Tzimtzum that they don't realize they destroy themselves. <clears throat> and now we understand why God says to Avramavino, you know, whoever curses you will be cursed because they want to limit you in bringing the divine presence. And whoever blesses you will be blessed <clears throat> because they want you to bring the divine presence. And that's why it says, And in you will be blessed all the nations of the earth. But why? What does uh, your blessing have to do with a muzzle? <clears throat> the answer is because you have the unique ability 
they determine my presence or absence. And my presence or absence will determine the type of reality that everybody lives in. So if you do my mitzvahs, you have made my reality unbelievably uh, bright. And therefore, the reality of the entire world changes. And therefore, all goyim will bask in that light. But if you don't do that, then you have created a reality which is very, very bad. And therefore, you have taken a situation and you have severely deteriorated that situation, which means everybody will suffer. <coughs> you see, so it is the unique ability of a Jew, you see, to operate him that gives him the power to be this unbelievably um, significant being. And like I say, it's not just one Jew. Every single Jew has that power at birth, automatically. That's the genetic gift. You know, that's the gift that God gives every Jew because of the covenant, the agreement that he will made with Avraham Avinu. <clears throat> but that agreement basically begins with Adam Arishan. That is why Adam, even though he sinned, could destroy the world because he had the ability of Simpson or the ability to reverse Simpson. You see? And therefore, <clears throat> since the amount of presence or absence of God <clears throat> is what determines everything, so he was able to damage creation in a severe way. You see, that's it. So therefore, <clears throat> this whole concept now begins to tell you what is going on. <clears throat> you know, it's not a punishment of Jews if they sin. What they do is they diminish the presence of God. And that itself becomes a severe punishment. Because it makes the reality that they live in very negative. You see. So in the end, we create our own reality. That is the gift. That is the power that has been given to a Jew. And if we sin, we suffer from the fact that we have diminished the power of God, so to speak. We have diminished the presence of God. So therefore, it is our fault. We have done this. It's not that we did an act and God now punishes us because of that act. <clears throat> that act that we've done, which is a violation, right, if it's a sin, that act itself has caused the, the presence of God to diminish. <clears throat> and that diminishment changes the reality that we live in, you see. So this is really a very fundamental understanding of what in the world is going on. And ultimately what we have to do <clears throat> is that what we want to do is, is reduce the original amount of symptom to such an extent we now can undo symptom by reducing or increasing the presence, you see, to reduce the limit, that is, and automatically we will change reality from lower point to higher point until we finally turn the entire world into Ilam Habo. <clears throat> and Ilam Habo is ultimately God at almost the, the top point of the Tzimtzum, undoing of the Tzimtzum. In other words, if you want to go from, let's say, God started from one 
it went to a hundred of Tzimtzum, we can reduce the hundred all the way back to one. And we do that by doing the mitzvahs, or tshuva, or unfortunately suffering. So we actually reverse the dial. And ultimately, this is what happens. We create Olam Haba, you see, because we have that gift, the ability to control the presence or absence of God, which is what controls all reality. This is the power of the Jew. And that's what Odom had, and that's why he was able to do such incredible damage to creation, and why the Jew can do the exact same thing as Odom. Uh, the only difference between us and Odom is Odom was one man that dial, could dial the entire presence or absence of God. Or he, he, had, he had all the power, it's like he had the complete board to himself. <clears throat> Today, however, the board is distributed to every Jew that lives. So each one has his area <clears throat> where he can reduce or increase the power of God. But whatever it is, it's the same incredible phenomenon. You see, where you determine how much of God is in the universe. Any questions? Amy, you have a question? What was that? Are you there? Yeah, any questions? So we're still trying to correct the stuff from Adam? I don't know what we're trying to do right now. What are you trying to say? <clears throat> we are trying to undo his damage. <clears throat> because what he did by sinning is he introduced a different level of reality called Zoyama, called Correct, Kripo. I know. We, are we, are trying to un we are trying to undo that. Not enough right? people are trying, that's the problem. Well, <clears throat> look, God has it arranged. You know, well, we are trying to do that. Ultimately, we will succeed. Ultimately, we, we, we will reduce, and that's the whole concept of the Messianic era. The Mashiach is the successful reversal of the damage of Adam Harishan. That's really what it is. So, by, so by removing the Zohama, <coughs> a, a way to uh, bring his parents, his presence more. Uh, feel his presence more, he's going to be doing that through the Svita also? Yes. Yeah, sure. So, like, what is he? He's going to be clearing the, the the pipelines of it? Like, how does it work? Well, <clears throat> remember, the uh, Klipot, the, uh, the Zoyama, these are um, blockages. So the first thing you have to really do is remove the blockages. Then the second thing you want to do is to increase the ore, <clears throat> you see. So as we do, as we um, energize, what happens is we change the amount of blockage and we remove it completely. That's what happens in the Messianic era, right? And then we increase the ore 
that happens after the messianic era you see so the primary work really of the jews is to reduce or to get rid of the zoyama and then to begin to affect the physical universe but the real effect starts after the messianic era is over it starts between six and seven thousand years <clears throat> so until the six thousand years we have removed all the Zoyama, everything and like I mentioned previously the amount of Haora the amount of light or spiritual energy is enormous just by removing the blockage we cannot even comprehend which I've mentioned before what the world will look like without blockage you see <clears throat> but the actual change of the physical world from Geshem into a spiritual happens after 6,000 years and I mentioned from 6 to 7 7 to 8 and 8 to 9 and beginning in the 9,000 year that's when Oil Mahaba begins where we we will have fully uh, energized all the spheres to bring down all their light and that changes the entire universe into a universe of which we have really no comprehension you see but Rabbi, so you said that a person that's dying be buried to get rid of the Zohama a person that what you have to die to get rid of the Zohama yes within your body <clears throat> because you cannot purify material body that has Zoyama in it you have to get rid of it and then the physical substance can rejuvenate itself this is a problem once Zoyama become attached to the physical body you cannot purify the body of the Zoyama you have to separate you see that's why there's a thing called death what death does it separates the physical right then the shama leaves the body and the body decomposes where the zoyama leaves the body and then when the time comes then the neshama re-enters the body which is now devoid of zoyama and is able to resurrect a physical body to be a physical body without zoyama that's called Chiesamesim. That is resurrection of the dead. You see. <clears throat> and that's what happens in the time of Mashiach ben David. So everybody's going to be walking around with bodies which have no Satan. They have no Yetzirah, no Satan, no death, no disease, no decomposition, nothing. Except a body which is pure Geshem. You see. But the Geshem itself will become purified after the year 6000, which is the English year 2240. And that is the beginning of the true reversal of a physical world into a spiritual, and from a spiritual into a meta-spiritual, something which is beyond the spiritual, which is called Oilam Habbo. So it's a long process. But the key concept, as far as we're concerned, is removing the Zoyama. <clears throat> that is the major work of the Jewish people 
for 4,000 years is to get rid of the zoyama and to purify the physical body. After that, then it goes on automatically by itself. You see? <clears throat> That's what God wants. He doesn't need you to change. That will happen automatically. What he needs the Jewish people is to fight the Sultan, right? And to purify, to get rid of the Zoyama. And that is the Messianic era. It is a world or an era where there is no satanic influence and there's no consequence. There's no death, no illness. Everything is just incredible in that era. You see. <clears throat> so, Rabbi. Yes. If if um if all the Jews, every single Jew, does tshuva, then we would tip the scale. But it's not if every Jew, tshuva. If every yeah, if every Jew did tshuva, Mashiach would come that day. Because they would have reversed. You know, the Tzimtzum to such an extent where the Divine Presence would just come right back. Yeah, if, if, that, if that really so, happened, it would be incredible. So if they're doing, the Jews that aren't doing Shuvah, they're still getting, they're still doing mitzvot or, or um, <clears throat> sorrows yeah. or suffering. Yes, that's true. It doesn't true. have the same weight. It doesn't like on the scales have the same weight. Look, it, it, it clearly does something, but we don't know the amount that has to be done. Only God knows exactly how much has to be removed and what the, each action of every Jew does. We don't know. You know, it's completely, it's not revealed to us, the, the entire operation, <clears throat> you know, but he knows. And when the time comes that all of it will have been removed, yeah, we are redeemed. You see? So, Rabbi, if we know that that um, Olam Haba doesn't start till, like you said, by the year 6,000, this is going to happen and all these things. Um, so, technically, it, I mean, Hashem gives us the option of if you, if you all do Teshuvah, then Mashiach will come, but he knows that we're human, and the 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 the, the circumstances that we're under, uh, and especially so many rabbis speak about the end of times and how they wish uh, they don't even wish to be alive during that time because there's so much darkness. So this whole process is just like we're just playing it out because at the end of the day, we're just waiting till that specific day that Hashem just decides it to happen because it's not really technically in our hands because of human nature. <clears throat> well, it is in our hands because we're the I one know, who does it. But technically because of the circumstances we're living in and the darkness, we're not getting every Jew to Teshuvah. It's impossible. Yes, but th that is one of the reasons which I once mentioned a while back that's one of the reasons why what God has done to speed up the process is he has removed the culpability or the guilt of many Jews. So therefore, even if they sin, it doesn't register. The only way a sin register, registers 
and, and increases simsum is if he has bechira, free will. If a Jew has no free will, nothing happens, even if it's a sin. And the way to reduce uh, bechira is by denying to the Jew Torah. If you don't know what is right or wrong, then you don't have free will. You're missing vital information. And therefore, even if you sin, it doesn't count. <clears throat> That's one of the reasons why, before the Mashiach comes, there's an unbelievable amount of ignorance. You ever notice that there's such incredible amount of ignorance of the Torah? Yes. Do you ever wonder why? Do you ever notice that in many ways, uh, in the Holocaust, the ones that got killed were the uh, places that had a tremendous amount of Tamidi Chachamim, where all the yeshivas were located? Why? And the answer is because it is very important to reduce the culpability of Jews so that they are not held guilty if they sin. <clears throat> when you look around today, you realize that there's an incredible amount of ignorance in Torah. And what that does is reduces the amount, like I say, of guilt and culpability. Because if you don't know it, if you don't know the Torah, that you are innocent, you have no free will, you see, because you don't know. So what God has done simultaneous to the Gullahs, it has reduced the amount of scholarship in the Jewish people. But that has to be reversed. That has to be reversed, and that's the concept that God says that in the end of time, I will gather you, <clears throat> then I will bring you to me. You see, and I had uh, spoken about what that is. That that has to be reversed. The Jews must again come back to their Torah in order to greet the Mashiach. You see. And that's what God does. That's one of the things he does to speed up the process by the, by the Jews being basically amaratsim, ignoramuses. See, that's so, what helps the Jews. Well, yeah. I, okay, so then I have a question. But they say that when you see someone um, doing something, um, transgressing something, you're supposed to tell them and rebuke them in a certain, in a nice way and whatever. But if Hashem wants them to be ignorant, should we not rebuke them? Well, I tell you, you see, it's the old game. It's there used to be a king, right, called Chizkiyo. He's one of the greatest kings of Israel, and he knew because he was also also a prophet. He knew that he would have a son named Menashe. Who would be the worst king of all, because he would introduce incredible amount of idolatry. So what he did is he decided I'm not getting married, right? I'm not getting married, and therefore I'm not going to have kids. So Yeshayahu Hanavi came to him and said that God is going to take your life. Why? And he answered because it's true that you know that Menashe will come from you, but that you know that because of prophecy. But you cannot, you cannot play around with that knowledge. God commanded you to have children, right, to take on after you. And the way Yeshayahu HaNavi said, With the secrets of God, what is your business? You have to do as you are commanded. <clears throat> you know what I'm saying? 
you can't play around because, you know, uh, all of a sudden you want to help God bring the, the Bria, you know, by not having Menashe. That's God's business. You have to do what you commanded. The same idea. You know, if there's a mitzvah of you have to do it. If that's what's, you know, operative, techocho, which is be rebuke, uh, you have to do it. You, you can't say, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to close down every yeshiva, right? Why? Because I want to make sure that all the Jews are ignorant, and therefore nobody's culpable. Can't do that. You see, even though that would be a, a you know, very rather a strange type of strategy, and they can't do that because we are commanded to learn Torah and to spread that. And even if it does increase knowledge and therefore does increase free will, right, and therefore if people sin, it does increase guilt and culpability, can't do that. We have to do what we're commanded. You know, we can't be smarter than God. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is what God wants, and we have to do it. And he will take care of the rest. You see, we, we cannot intervene in his plan to help his plan along by going against his will. You see. And this is what Yeshayo HaNavi told Chizkiyo. So what happened is Chizkiyo then married, and he, unfortunately, of course, he had Menashe, which was terrible. But listen, that's what God, if God wants to stop Menashe, that's his business, not ours. But we have to do what we are commanded to do, <clears throat> you know. We can't second-guess God and play around with his plan, you know. In other words, we cannot sin to advance his plan. <clears throat> we have to do the mitzvahs. And whatever comes out of that, you know, will come out of that. It's part of God's plan. You see. <clears throat> anyway, I hope I've given all of you a basic understanding of the power of a Jew. It's a very important concept. Most Jews, of course, don't know that. That we are the only ones in all creation <clears throat> that can actually determine the presence or absence of God in the world. That is the power that we have. And that is, therefore, the power to bring to the world incredible blessing <clears throat> or incre- incredible, uh, you know, uh, destruction. That's what God told Avraham Avinu, you know, that the entire world will be blessed through you. Because that is your power. You're the one who changes reality, nobody else. So through the power of the Jew, we give the power to the Mashiach? Correct. But the Mashiach is, it's not that the Mashiach has the power. The Mashiach takes all what we contributed he takes our power and he uses it. It's not that he has this power independent of us. No. <clears throat> because we're the ones that do the tikkun, not him. He's just the individual that can bring the show to a close. Just like Moshe Abenu. 
You know, it wasn't the power of Moshe in that sense. It was the power of all the Jews. We are the actors, you see. Not Moshe Rabbeinu. He's the one who just closes the act. Same idea with the Mashiach. You see. <clears throat> and Moshe Rabbeinu, of course, realized that. And that's why he said, listen, you know, if you want to make me the guy, I don't want it. You know, raise me from your safer. Because Moshe Rabbeinu realized that he's nobody. It is the power of the Jews that bring the Tikkun. You see, and that's true, obviously, even today. <clears throat> you see. So, listen, enjoy your power. And just know that everything you do will have a direct influence in whatever area has been assigned to you by God. Each Jew has his own area of operation. That whatever you do does influence your area and the presence or absence of God in that area. You see, that's unique to each Jew. You see. <clears throat> And like I say, Odomarishna had that power. The thing is that he had the power of the entire creation. We only have that power over our area. <clears throat> but then we we can control other people. You know, if you have a school and you educate other Jews in doing mitzvahs and learning Torah and so on, then in that sense, and they then go out and do mitzvahs, well, you have just, uh, you know, enabled them <clears throat> to use their power to do mitzvahs, of which you will be given tremendous credit. So in that sense, each one of us has unbelievable power, not just in ourselves, but to influence other Jews to use their power. You see? So in that sense, we control <clears throat> an enormous amount of power far beyond an individual. You see? That's why it's great to give a shear to thousands of people. Because then you influence them to do mitzvahs. Which means that you actually have a chilek, a portion of their power, indirectly. You see? That's why I always maintain that zikoi hurabim, to bring merit to the public, is the greatest of all jobs. Because it gives you unlimited power to every Jew that you influence, <clears throat> even if it be indirectly. You see? So that's one way of increasing your power and therefore your portion in Oilem Habo. It's called Ziko Hirabim. <clears throat> to bring merit to the people, the public. You see? So that's an interesting way of increasing your power. Rabbi, yeah. through, through increasing your power, you increase the presence of God to yourself, personally. Yes, Is, is that through the speed of, like, the anatomy of the body, through that? Like, how do you do personally through the speed <clears throat> Well, Well, what would happen is that if you do increase your your uh the sphere and so on 
that you increase not only in yourself, but in all things connected to you, which would include your kids, your husband, right? Uh, or any endeavor that you're involved in. And of course, in your situation, yeah. It increases enormously the bracha, the blessings that you have with all those things connected to you. So it's not just as an individual. It's far beyond that. <clears throat> you know. So I maintain always that the greatest investment is to help other Jews, especially in the area of Torah and Mitzvahs. <clears throat> you see. Because like I say, you know, it increases the enormous blessing that you bring to whoever's connected to you. You see. So you could you could ripple effect your own blessing to other people just because you're connected to them. Yes, sure. Yeah, <clears throat> that's right. That's why there are many children. <clears throat> you know, the, the, unfortunately, there are many people, fathers, who go astray, and that's it. They give up Judaism, and the reason why they get oilam habo is because their kids did tshuva. Yeah. They gave Oilam Haba because of their kids. Yeah. <clears throat> you see? So uh, that's why it's so important, you know, to educate and so on. Uh, other people were doing Torah and mitzvahs, yeah. Because every time they do a mitzvah... <clears throat> Some of it is added to your bank account. And your bank account grows, you know, exponentially. Not because of what you do, because of what they do. But whatever they do, you're getting credit for. Because you are held to be the cause <clears throat> to be responsible for that. So therefore, your bank account, account of mitzvahs and, and reward is growing exponentially. You know, I mean, just think about the leaders of the Jewish people, what, what their bank account misses and reward must be like, you know. I mean, take a person like Rashi. I mean, he wrote a commentary on Chumash tomorrow. <clears throat> Could you imagine every Jew since his time basically learns with Rashi? Could you imagine what his bank account looks like? It's unbelievable. That's why it's great to get to the to be part of a mitzvah at the beginning, because then everything afterwards you get a chelik. You know what I'm saying? So if you start, if you kicked off the mitzvah, or you are one of the founders, then every person that is somehow gets connected. To that mitzvah, you have a portion in his uh, his portion. Whereas if you come later, then you only have a portion from people later on. You see? Amy, you're recording the classes. You got a reward, a bank account. Tremendous. Oh, yeah. Have a <clears throat> the class now. Exactly. We, 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 you know... We don't even know the repercussions. I mean, as far as I know, there are thousands of people that listen to these recordings. 
So that means you would get a mitzvah, even though you, you started it, you know, basically for you know, a small number of women, but everyone, because the fact that the shia can go on, right? Well, obviously, there's nobody here. There's no shia. Uh, but the fact that shia goes on, so everybody who's in the initial shia gets the reward or an incredible amount of reward for every person that uh, uh, listens to the shia. Unbelievable. I mean, there was a shia I gave a couple of weeks ago. They tell me almost 7,000 people have heard that shia. So could you imagine getting the reward of 7,000 people listening, even if they don't do any mitzvahs? But the fact that they've listened to Divri Torah is an unbelievable reward. And then what happens if they change and they do more mitzvahs or they do it more fervently? Do you imagine how much reward that is? All because you're listening to a phone call. Right? It's incredible. Yeah, listen. Exactly. That's why a lot of people are going to be shocked when they get to Ilam Habo or the great day of judgment. Uh, God is going to say, okay, this is your reward. And he shows them, you know, like a, you know, like a, what do you call it? The reward of a, a whole planet. So you're going to look and say, I didn't do this. No, you did do this because these are all the people, and it's not only these people, it's their kids, and then their kids until the end of time. Every, and God can keep track, He's an expert in that. He keeps track of any single event that you can be held as a contributor or a cause or responsible, you will have a chalek in that cause. We can't even begin to add up what that is. So can you imagine? <clears throat> so How Rabbi, what about all the non-religions that we've been trying for so many, so many times and people, they don't even want to listen to a shoe or they don't want to listen to, they're like, they get fed up with you after a while. They don't want to hear it. How can we spark this, this idea with the non-religious? Well, that's a very good question, and that's all part of uh, the problem of what's happening today. But look, in the end, you know, everybody has free will. You know, they have to decide what is important and, uh, you know, what makes sense, what doesn't make sense. <clears throat> what can you really say, you know? It's tragic, especially in the end of time. What was that? But Hashem is recording, like, he's, are we getting credit for trying, even though it didn't work? Yes. If you are doing a mitzvah and you're prevented from doing the mitzvah, not because of your reason, then it's considered as if you've did, done the mitzvah. You know? The machshava, the desire to do a mitzvah, <clears throat> happens. The reward happens even if there's a desire, but you can't do the mitzvah because let's say you are prevented for external reasons. It's as if you did the mitzvah. Because God knows many times a person wants to do a mitzvah and for whatever reason he can't. You see. So in the end of time, 
you know, you have a lot of people that have an incredible amount of reward that they have no, they can't even begin to imagine why. <clears throat> because, you know, they have uh, pervaded the consciousness of so many Jews in terms of doing the mitzvah. We, we, obviously, we can't count that. But God knows exactly the weight of each influence that you have. I have a question. So, yeah. God willing, we all live through both Mashiach and the Beit HaMikdash and Techiyat HaMetim into Olam Haba. So, if we all live through all of that, then when does the Day of Judgment happen for us? <clears throat> well, like I say, there are three days of judgment. The first day of judgment is Rosh Hashanah. So that's every year. The second day of judgment is when a person dies. Right? And that happens, obviously, you know, after death, in terms of what he did. But that cannot be the final judgment, because a person's works <clears throat> lives on far beyond his life. You know? Like I say, because you are rewarded not only for the immediate, uh, you know, uh, person who listens, <clears throat> but from his kids all the way to the end of all the generations. So the last judgment is called the Great Judgment Day. Yim Hadin It is the last day on earth, <clears throat> the last day for the existence of the planet, right? When everything you've ever done throughout all the generations and throughout all the peoples that have been influenced, you will be judged based on that. You see? So that's sort of like it collects everything that has come out of your acts. And that's the final judgment. And that will determine your place in the future world. That's what does it. <clears throat> you know? It's so that's why it's... It's through all your Gilgulim? It's through all your Gilgulim? Yes. It includes all your Gilgulim Every act you did, total. So when does this happen? When does that At fall? The, like when? In the last, in the last day of the planet. In the English year, twenty-two, thirty-nine, and three hundred sixty-four days. So right, the day well, before twenty-two forty is when it yes. happens. Yes. And but well, technically, right. we've all been resurrected again. And now we're Correct. Both... Got it. That's right, yeah. That's right. It's called the Great Judgment Day when everything is judged in terms of their contributions to the overall Tikkun process. <clears throat> That's when it happens. And that is the last judgment, and that determines your eternity. Obviously, it's a very serious day. So it determines if you will exist in the future world <clears throat> and at what level you will exist at in the future world. And we're talking about eternity here. You see. <clears throat> you know, that's why I always encourage people to get involved with not only doing mitzvahs, but in helping other people <clears throat> also do mitzvahs. You know, like I say, you don't even realize 
that just being on a shear, enabling the shear to happen, where thousands of people listen, that's like an unbelievable investment. You see? You're just listening and you don't even realize that the moment I get off by tomorrow, <clears throat> you know, uh, it'll be put up by tomorrow and uh, 1,500 people will have listened to it within 24 hours because that's what I'm averaging so far. <clears throat> you know, and within a week or two, you can have as many as 6,000 people. You see, and, and all of you will not even realize this. You see? So that's, your concern. that's mostly with most of our mitzvot. We really don't know, uh, you know, its legs, so to speak. We don't know how far it takes us, where it, like in, in the olamot, what it's doing. So how come we don't know? I feel like if we knew more, more would be done. Well, that's all part of my job. God wants, you know, uh, you know, people to teach this <clears throat> that's the only way you know you know that's how you know that's why I'm telling you you don't realize that if you are involved in a year where even even if 10 people want to listen to it that's a tremendous reward <clears throat> let alone six seven thousand people who knows what that's worth infinite and that's only one share right if this goes on it's already gone on almost a year and a half to imagine how many people have heard different terror for the year and a half nope we don't realize you know but it's something very very important to think about especially what is important to know is that it's not only how many people have listened, it's how many, what the forces of opposition are and what does it take a person to listen and not be convinced not to listen. Remember, the Yetzirah is working actively to try to get people not to listen. So therefore, if the climate is difficult to do the mitzvah, then the reward is infinitely great. So it's not that they're just listen, that they're listening. They're listening when it's so easy not to listen. And there's so much opposition to listening to Divri Torah. That enormously magnifies the amount of mitzvah. So how can we possibly calculate that? We can't. So it's not just the numbers. It's also the type of situation that they are listening under the difficulty of listening in a time when there's so much stuff that they could be doing besides listening to a shir. You see what I'm saying? And that we can't measure. Only God can measure that. So that enormously magnifies the reward. You see what I'm saying? So it's really incredible. You think about it. <clears throat> 